Welcome back to The Mentors. This is Vadim. And Sergey. And we're coming back to you again this week with yet another episode of The Mentors. Yes, back at right. it again with them white vans. Ooh, back at it again with the white vans. That's a cool song. Is that a, that, that's like a YouTube song, right? It was, it's a, it's a meme from like three or four years ago that probably no one knows anymore, but look it up or don't, um, don't waste your time with that. That's silly. Just, that's just silly. Uh, just forget it. No, well, let's just get into the meat of it. Today, we're going to talk to you about a topic that actually causes anxiety and stress to a lot of people, and that is sales. Now, we talk about sales a lot on a daily basis, both with the businesses that we work with for whom we help figure out their sales strategies and the entrepreneurs that we advise that are trying to figure out sales for themselves for the very first time. Let's say if they've never had a direct sales job where they carried a quota and were responsible to bring in a certain amount of revenue on a monthly basis, we try to give them some context into what it's like, what they need to get good at, and uh, how to go about actually improving your sales skills. Now, one thing to say right off the bat, you might not be the best salesperson as the founder, and that's totally fine. That skill is not natural for everybody. However, A, we think that it can absolutely be learned by almost anybody. In other words, everybody can incrementally improve their sales skills. But B, even though you might not be the best salesperson, you have to be the first salesperson for your company. Yeah, and sales is hard. We know it. You know it. My mama knows it. Mama but... <laughs> has never done sales. Mama has never but done mom, you sales. Mom, mom, you probably know. Yes, son. Do you, have you done sales, mom? Uh, never. Well, let me tell you how you would go about doing it if you were entering into a career where, well, your life slash business depended on it. To Vadim's earlier point, though, the founder does have to learn sales because you have to deeply understand the selling process for your company and you're not going to be able to effectively recruit a sales team or a sales leader unless you know what their job is and you know how to measure their success as a salesperson. So that's why you got to do it first. And trust me, I have seen you know PhDs in computer science learn how to do sales for their own businesses because again, they needed to learn how to do it initially before they outsourced it. So that's why we wanted to start with a more approachable sales for founders 101 topic. Now, what we often say is that it sales is an important skill to learn because you're ultimately always selling as an entrepreneur, as a founder, even as a creator. If you're an artist, you have to figure out how to sell to somebody, let's say a museum, to put your art in a gallery. You're always selling. And so sales can have many different connotations. Uh, it could be sales for potential partners to bring onto the business. It could be sales for getting employees to agree to join your company and take the risk of, let's say, or the opportunity cost of not going with another business. It could be sales of not just business partners, but partnerships for your company. So more like business development sales. But what we're going to be talking about today is more so sales in the context of generating revenue directly for your product or service in the business. Now, I can already hear, uh, even though this is a one-way uh, transmission, <laughs> I can already hear the cats meowing saying, well, but if I have um, if I have a great product, shouldn't it sort of speak for itself? Shouldn't it sell itself? Well, we're going to talk about a couple different ways of selling and some sales processes are easier or simpler than others. But the reality is no matter how good your product is, especially when you're a startup and no one knows or cares about your business, you don't have the brand equity yet, you don't have the recognition, they don't know whether it works yet or not, all of these sort of factors, 
you will have to do some selling. You will have to do some strategic convincing for people to take a chance on you. And today we're going to describe, we're going to start getting into a little bit how to do that because it's not natural for most people. We don't expect it to be. And so we want to kind of educate you on the, the overall premises of what sales could mean for you. And we also want this episode to act as an anchor episode that can help you introduce to the different types of sales you might do as a founder to help you then understand maybe what kind of product you might want to build that will influence the type of sales that you do. But then future episodes will go into deeper tactics around how to actually generate interest and how to close deals. That's right. Everybody wants to hear how to be a closer, but we got to set up the foundation first before we talk about closing. So let me start with this. And that is that with any business that you start, like even if you have been a successful salesperson for a previous business or you worked for a company doing some sort of sales, with any new product that you sell or any new business that you build, you're essentially relearning how to sell. You're learning from scratch how to sell that particular product and how to sell to those particular customers. But there are a few sort of, and there are actually three primary ways that you can sell something. It goes a little bit deeper than that, but we're going to really simplify it. There are three primary ways that you could sell a product. Now, we are today talking mostly about business-to-business sales, B2B sales, although some of this can certainly apply to -to direct-to-consumer or business-to-consumer sales. And those three different ways, the first of those three and the simplest way to sell of those three and the sort of holy grail in at least software is self-service selling or freemium selling. Now that is the simplest because true to the word, right? Self-service means you don't actually have to intervene typically and have a conversation with somebody, whether it's phone or email, you don't have to have any conversation for somebody to buy. They can make that buying decision themselves. So if you ever used, for example, LinkedIn, and you get a message from LinkedIn saying, hey, you should try LinkedIn Premium, sign up for a free trial, right? That is a form of self-service freemium sales where you can do your own research about whether LinkedIn Premium makes sense for you, and you can make that decision without any intervention of a human being as you're just making that decision yourself through automated emails that LinkedIn is selling you. Very simple type of sales. And of course, direct-to-consumer products, products that you buy online through e-commerce platforms, there's our self-service as well. And again, you're transacting, you're completing the sale without another human getting involved before you get the money. Another quick example is I keep on seeing Facebook ads for this Krav Maga, which is a certain type of self-defense, Krav Maga Academy in New York. And they have this great ad that basically convinces you that maybe you should like get off your ass and do Krav Maga. And then they take you from that ad to a sales page and you read that sales page and you can type, you can sign up for a free class. And that free class probably is going to get you into it. They're going to get you jazzed up about it and then you're going to start paying for it. That is all freemium kind of sales. Yeah, and actually in that example, that already moves away a little bit from self-service because in that case, they're getting you in the door. So that was self-service. But then once you're there, there are other people that will try to upsell you. In other words, try to convert you on, let's say, buying a package for a eight-week course. So usually you can only apply a freemium or self-service sales model to a product that's very simple. In other words, someone can do their own research, they can read a sales page, they can read an ad and make their own informed decision 
on whether they should buy the product or not because it's just that simple to understand. The value is that simple to understand. The more complex your product is, the harder it is to explain the value of it, the more likely that you probably won't be able to get away with a self-service kind of model. And also, honestly, your product does have to be pretty cheap to get away with a self-service model too. Like a $70 LinkedIn premium account, you could probably expense to your corporate credit card. Again, that's cheap enough and that's simple enough where self-service works. If you get more complex, more expensive, you're gonna have to probably do a different type of sales process. So now that we have that uh, to the side, what we're gonna be focusing the bulk of this conversation is on sales when a human actually has to get involved. And that's what we spend a lot of time talking about with various founders and quite frankly you it's something that you have to figure out for your business which model makes sense for me this also can evolve while your business is evolving right in the beginning you might have an alpha version of the product or some kind of prototype that you can sell to smaller businesses but then as the product grows and gets bigger and has more functionality or as you understand that your target customer let's say is a bigger company you might realize that your sales, the type of sales that you do changes because now you're selling to a different type of customer. So it can change over time, but all direct sales falls into one of two buckets typically. It's either inside sales or outside sales. What's the difference, Sergey? So inside sales is true to the description of it. It's right in the language, right in the word. Inside sales usually means that you have a person, a salesperson, could be you to start with. Eventually, you'll probably have an inside sales team, so a collection of people that are in a building and they are either making phone calls or they're sending emails and they can close deals just by making phone calls and sending emails. In other words, they don't actually have to ever leave the building to close a deal. So you will likely need an inside salesperson if it takes a little bit of hand-holding. Have you ever worked at a company and you maybe decided to buy software for that company and it costs, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars a year or something like that where you have to get it approved by your boss? then you probably want to get on the phone with a salesperson so you can make sure you trust them so that you can make sure that they explain all the value, they have all the features that you need, right? You probably are not gonna make that buying decision yourself just by reading a website. So those types of products, and we'll talk about a couple of examples because Vadim and I have both done inside sales, both for our own businesses and companies that we worked for, that type of model is relatively inexpensive because you can have a salesperson Let's say, again, yourself in the beginning is just your time. You're sending emails. You're making calls. You sometimes can close a deal within a couple of calls or a couple of emails. And maybe it takes a couple weeks to a month or so to close a deal. And that salesperson, you might pay an inside salesperson anywhere from, let's say, $50,000 a year to a really good one who's going to be closing a lot of deals for you. You might pay them like $90,000 a year. You know, Maybe with commission, it's a little bit more. But you're starting to get an understanding of the cost that a single salesperson might actually cost your company. And then you need to understand, okay, well, if I have to pay that much eventually for a salesperson, then I need they need to close a certain amount of deals per year and they need to be a certain value as well. Now, the opposite of that, before we get into specific examples of inside sales, is, of course, outside sales. That is exactly what it sounds like as well. These are salespeople that go outside of the building, typically travel to, let's say, different cities, or maybe they're within one geographic location like the Northeast, like a regional salesperson. If you watch Dunder Mifflin, right, they're uh, Michael, the, Scott. Michael Scott, exactly. They sell in one specific location, but they have to leave the office to meet somebody face-to-face to convince them to 
make the purchase for whatever it is they're selling. Typically, as you can imagine, outside salespeople are a little bit more expensive. It's a little bit more resource intensive, right? Because you have to pay for travel uh, and you have to maybe wine and dine somebody when you're meeting them face to face. Typically, it's reserved for longer sales cycle deals. In other words, the deal takes multiple relationships that need to be built uh, probably across multiple stakeholders within these organizations. But the deal sizes are often bigger as well, so it's worth the investment. One caveat though, there are plenty of organizations that create a direct sales force that is solely focused on inside sales, never leaves the building, and closes massive contracts. So you can have an inside sales team that does only a few thousand dollars a year deals or a few thousand dollar a month deals to multi-million dollar deals, but typically if the deal sizes are larger, they take longer to close because it's a bigger decision to make for the for the customer, and they require outside sales, in other words, face-to-face communication and meetings. It's starting to change a little bit, especially with video conferencing getting really, really good where you don't have to be physically uh, in the same space as the other person, but still, a lot of trust can be gained when you're meeting with somebody face-to-face, and typically that trust translates into bigger contracts. While Vadim was talking, if you were asking yourself, well, how do I know whether I need to do inside sales or outside sales? Well, the, the answer is experimentation. Like you have to try and see what works. But honestly, usually the more complex the product is, the more trust you need to develop, the more you know potential risk there is for a company to use your product, the higher likelihood that you probably will need to have a person go face-to-face, make some FaceTime, build relationships with, with the decision makers in order for them to be comfortable to make a decision to spend with you. Another caveat. When you're early on starting your business, you're probably gonna be doing both. So one company that I worked at, it was my second sales job. We did door-to-door sales to get our first 30 small businesses signed up onto the platform. We were selling to restaurants and spas and things like that. And I would literally pick a street in Boston and I would walk door-to-door until I met the general manager, whoever was the decision maker that was there at the time to try to convince them to try out our software. So in that case, just because it was really early on. We had to build trust face-to-face even though it was a transactional product. In other words, low-value product. Yeah, so in the beginning, you might do both. And especially when you're a founder in the first year of selling, maybe you wanna build closer relationships with people. And maybe you're selling just in your own city. And so you're okay with taking those in-person meetings so you can really understand your clients. But eventually, you're gonna have to figure out what is the most economically efficient way for you to sell. And I used to work for an early stage startup where it was just me and another sales guy. It was just 10 of us in the whole company. And we also did both inside and outside sales, where we would send emails, we would meet face-to-face, we would do door-to-door, we would sell to small restaurants, you know, going door-to-door to restaurants or hair salons. It was a student discount product. Uh, and we would also try to sell to big chains. So it was like this whole convoluted multi-process and multi-faceted sales process. And guess what? The company ran out of money eventually, in part because the sales process was too expensive. We would do door-to-door sales for deals that would never return the amount of money we would need to spend to actually close the deal. And if that's the case, then you need to figure out another model for your business. This is where unit economics is really important to consider for your business. In other words, how much can you spend to get one lead or one person interested in your business to close that one deal? How much revenue are you making in return? Now, another way to differentiate these two types of sales, it's inside versus outside, 
short sales cycle versus long sales cycle is also transactional versus relationship sales. Now, of course, any kind of sale involves relationship building, but typically sales with a product that is short sales cycle, you can pick up the phone, reach a decision maker and convince them to spend $1,000 a month in one phone call. That's called a transactional sale. You can do that several times a week, every week, and your quota in other words, the amount of revenue that you have to generate for the company can be ref- can reflect that. Relationship sales is typically reserved for longer sales cycle deals where, let's say you're selling an enterprise product to a big company like MasterCard, and you need to convince the VP there, the chief information officer, and uh, maybe some lower level directors all on the value of your product in order for them to say yes and buy it. And that typically is a longer sales cycle game, takes longer to close, and you have to build relationships with multiple people in the organization. Now, you might ask, like, wait, really? You can close $1,000 a month deals with one phone call on the phone? And it is possible. Like, the Vadim's first sales job, he had to learn how to do it. I think it took you, like, a month or two to actually be able to do that, right? Yeah, it was my first sales job, and I was very much so not good. Uh, Now, I will say that this company is called Yodel. They're still around. They put you through a rigorous sales training program, first of all. Second of all, they purposely took people out of college that wanted that type of experience that were okay with some of the pain around the type of sales that we were doing, which involved 75 cold calls a day. That said, though, I truly do think that they really invested in us and in building the talent and I learned a lot of the ropes in sales there at Yodel and it made me much better because they put us through training every day. We had to do role-playing exercises where we pitched in front of our whole sales team of about 50 people every single day, even if we sucked in the beginning. Uh, And even during the training program, we had to call our boss. So the training was in New York. I was working out of Boston. I had to call my boss in Boston. He would role-play with me, pretending to be an angry customer, somebody that doesn't want to be bothered. And the whole point was I had to take that no and turn it into a yes. But In that type of direct sales model, we were selling search engine optimization and search engine marketing software for small businesses like dentists, lawyers, what have you. You could find a lead, let's say in the morning, you find out that somebody just started a new bankruptcy law firm and you could pick up the phone, call them. Typically in a law firm, there's only one or two partners that are working, especially that type of law. So you would reach that lawyer right on the phone You had about 10 to 15 seconds before they hung up on you. So to convince them not to hang up on you, right? Start with the value right up front. And then hopefully they either agree to a demo or a demonstration of the product that you run at a future date. Or if you're lucky enough, they have time right then. You walk them through a demo. They see the value. You get them to sign a contract and give you a credit card right on the phone there. And that could take as little as 30 minutes for thousands of dollars of marketing budget every month. So we're going to get into in subsequent episodes when we do the second part and third part of this series about how to actually in a high pressure situation and phone call like that, how you can actually close someone versus how to do it over a longer term relationship type of sale where it's much bigger contracts and hundreds of thousands, if not millions. But for the purposes of today's episode, we just wanted you to understand that it is possible and you may be able to do it for your business. So that's just up to you to figure out as you start learning how to sell your product. So now a cautionary tale about the unit economics piece, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. And this was a lesson learned from our company, Tacit. 
So when we started building this product, we this was software for sales teams. We built a plugin that made it very easy for sales teams to keep track of their data, keep track of their pipeline. Vadim and I had worked in sales for a couple of years at that point, and we knew that what parts of the software were hard to use, and essentially we were trying to improve it. When we started selling that product, we wanted to keep the price relatively low. I think it was $30 per user per month. Whereas for a Salesforce CRM license, you had to pay at that time, I think it was like 120. Now they have cheaper options, but it was about 100, $120 per user per month. And we were a plugin that made it easier to use basically. So we started going about selling this product. We tested pricing. It's a kind of a longer conversation to talk about how, but in short, we tested it by trying to offer certain prices and seeing what people were comfortable to pay and what they considered fair for that kind of product. And we started selling it. And in the beginning, we were pretty broad. We were trying to sell it to pretty much anyone. Mostly we targeted startups or companies that are anywhere from 50 to 100 employees with you know maybe five to 20 or 30 salespeople, right? Well, we found out that it took on average one to maybe three months for us to close a deal. It took us actually about a year to figure out what that sales cycle and process is, right? But over time, we found out that a couple months was really the longest it should take. And if it's taking more than that, we're spending time with the wrong customer. Now, mind you, it took a year because we were working on this business on the side. We weren't doing it full time, but it did take a bunch of iterations. But another reason why we went after startups is... We were a relatively early company. Our product was new. It didn't have a lot of functionality yet. And those smaller organizations saw more value in what we already had developed. And the thing is that about a year into it, we learned a really important lesson. And that is that at that $30 price point, it took us just about the same amount of time to convince a five to 10 person sales team to use that product as it did to convince a 30 to 50 person sales team to use that product. And if you do the math with that, you start to realize that you should not be wasting any time selling to those five to 10 person sales teams. Yes, those first couple of contracts that you know people agreed really quickly to use it, those five to 10 salespeople basically debugging the product for us was important. But after the first couple of months selling to sales teams like that, we should have understood that it was not economically sustainable for us to target those sales teams. We should have only focused on the 30 to 50 person sales teams minimum. And really, we should have been focusing on the 100 plus person sales teams at that $30 per user per month price point for it to be worth it for us to spend the time selling that product. But it took us that long to learn that lesson. And eventually we did figure out the math and we started pitching much bigger companies like Box.com, MasterCard. I don't even remember all the names that we had on the list there. So we did shift our focus much later, but it took a bunch of iterations. So we urge you to think about that early on. Think about the unit economics of your business. How much money can you make per deal? And that should help you understand what kind of customers to target and also what kind of sales engine to have within the organization. So we learned a couple of things through this conversation just to sort of reiterate that it's going to take you some time to learn how to sell your product or service, that the more complex it is, probably the more complex your sales process is and the more expensive your sales process is. And also the amount of time it takes for you to close a deal also increases the cost and the economics are so critical that it's really important for you to consider all this as you learn how to sell your product. And hopefully over time, you'll learn how to optimize it and you know what parts of the sales process to cut out, what kind of customers to focus on, and it'll hopefully make a profitable business for you. 
Now, of course, direct sales is not the only way to generate revenue for your business. There's all sorts of customer acquisition strategies depending on what it is you're building, depending on where your customers spend their time. That's not the focus of these series of episodes. The focus of these series of episodes is for people that want to learn direct sales skills to be more effective at that particular discipline. So in future episodes, we're going to talk about the next step. Now that you have an understanding of the types of sales you could do, how do you start generating interest and generating leads? And how do you actually get these meetings? What do you do when you get into these meetings? And then how do you make sure that you get closer and closer to closing the deal and generating revenue, which of course is the only thing that matters ultimately if you're building a business. And remember, most of the advice that we do give does focus on the US market. The way that you sell is gonna be a little bit different from culture to culture, geography to geography. But a lot of the lessons that you learn from how to do sales in the U.S. market can be brought over to other markets as well. Now, if you are listening to the mentors for the first time and you are just incredibly impatient and you want to get to the to the tactics as quickly as possible, you don't want to wait for us to record and release episodes where we're going to be talking about exactly how to run these conversations and close deals and we're going to do some role playing. It's going to be like real scenarios that Vadim and I have gone through. You can go back through and listen to our other episodes where we interview founders because we almost always get into the sales conversation. We ask, how did you figure out how to sell? How did you figure out pricing? How did you negotiate your first couple? of deals that you closed. Those are questions that we ask in pretty much every interview that we do. So go back and check out an episode that seems relevant to you and you'll probably hear some of those tactics that you you really want to hear. And we only have one ask of you today. If you found this episode valuable, if you have a friend that's been thinking about sales, maybe even not from their own company, but they want to start a career in sales, just share this episode with one friend and we'd be incredibly thankful for that. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you on Monday.